Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Howdy, everybody. Arthur Staple. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic, joined now by my regular co-contributor, co-host. We could even call him a co-host because we're going to be hearing a lot from him this year. Steve Valiquette, MSG Network, Clearside Hockey, former Ranger. Howdy, Steve. How you doing? It, you know what it is, Arthur. It's it's a fourth-line guy that's plugging away. I'm getting 12 minutes a night, and I want to be an 18-minute guy. <laughs> well, I like... <laughs> I like the work rate. I like the uh, I like the compete <laughs> level, as the coaches like to say. So uh, uh, we were talking a little bit, and I think you mentioned it um, a couple of podcasts ago. Five game segments uh, are not something as you as when you were a player you paid attention to, but they are a, a, a unit of t- of measure for coaches and front offices around the NHL. Uh, and the Rangers just got through their fifth game last night against San Jose. It was not a great one, but if you're looking. The 10,000-foot look down, 3-1-1 one, and one through five games, seven points. Um, it's a good start, and it's a start that puts them on track uh, to be a playoff team, to be a team that's competing for the Metro Division. Um, what's your what's kind of your big-picture view so far? That's it. It's, you know, look, my biggest concern before the season began was, is this group ahead of themselves? Do they think it's going to be easy? And you don't want them to get humbled early because when you do, you just don't get in the playoffs. And a really good example was the Montreal Canadiens last year coming off of a Stanley cup final the year before they start Owen five and their season's over. You, yeah. know, you can't make it up. You know, you, I looked at the teams yesterday that were Owen five last year. They all missed the playoffs. There were three of them, uh, Chicago, Arizona, Montreal. There was uh, the one in four Vegas golden Knights. They never got, their season together, you know, and, and teams, and I think people around teams always point out the fact that in 2019, the St. Louis Blues were in last place January 3rd, and they came back. That's that's like a one in a hundred year event. Like that's not happening again. And so five game segments, it always annoyed me as a player to hear a coach refer to it as, you know, this is important win. We've got to get our, you know, six points out of a possible 10. Like we don't think like that. It's it's annoying. It's distracting. When you think about results, that's when you fail because you're not focused on what makes you successful. And although it's it's something that management can spend a lot of time on because that's their job. It's roster construction and trying to stay cap, uh, cap compliant and doing all of the things to get their team strong enough from a roster standpoint that the coach has options. Essentially, you want to get six points out of a possible 10. 
Um, after your five-game segments all add up, you're about a 96-97 point team with two or three games remaining, and uh, you're trying to get in and, and position yourself. But first and foremost, it's all about getting in the playoffs. And the Rangers took a great step, in my opinion, uh, for five games that I thought were going to be dicey just because of the overall mindset of the group. And, you know, sometimes I, I think it's just lack of maturity, but in a lot of ways, they showed me that they are very mature. Um, you go, go through the five games, Tampa, they only had four high danger chances against. That's a great home opener, not yeah. a loose game, a very strict game. I loved that game. The Minnesota game, uh, nine high danger, four, nine against pretty wild at times. Igor is great at moments. Uh, the Winnipeg game was their third game and fourth night. So that's your loss. That's your loss out of the five games. And Anaheim, they dominated Anaheim. 16 high danger four against seven against. That's a dominating game. Power play was terrific. And last night against San Jose, I thought they thought it was going to be easy. You, yeah. Like you, you, you look at San Jose and the characteristics of that team, Arthur, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, puck drop, Kako, slot line play. First uh, chance of the game is 30 seconds into the game. It's a great A. They had four great A's in the first period. Uh, Trocek's breakaway, another east-west from Trocek. So they had four great A's. And when you see four in the first period, I think sometimes players are like, okay, it's going to be easy. We'll just play these guys a little lighter. We'll get our two points and we'll get out of here. And before you know it, you're in a game and you're kind of in one. But big pitcher, um, the Rangers, after five games, get seven points. They're fifth in expected Goals for and against at five on five differential. And I can just tell you for the last six years we've been doing this, if you're in the top 16 in differential for five on five, high danger for against, you will make the playoffs. You're getting in the playoffs. The key to being a team that goes through the playoffs is you need to be a top five team in high danger chances against. And that's where we're not seeing the Rangers right now. They're 14th. Mm -hmm. um, so they're four in offense. And their offense has been terrific. And this doesn't even take into account how great they're on the power play because we're just talking about five on five. But they're fourth in offense at five on five, um, but 14th in defense. So, yeah, that's that's where they got to clean it up. And I think we heard, you know, obviously in the immediate aftermath of a game like last night where they get dominated in the third period and, and you know, look as sloppy as they've looked all year uh, and probably going back to the first half of last season. Um, Gerard Gallant understandably upset called it embarrassing that's that's always a, a, a word that has some flashing red symbols around it for me when you hear a coach say that publicly um, talking to Jacob Truba in the locker room you know saying like I think I'd asked him you know when the offense is going so well in games like the Minnesota game and the Anaheim game you're going to give up chances at the end it's human nature because you're up by you're up big um, you know you, you want to be up even bigger guys get caught up in the offensive flow and he said it wasn't a back burner thing for us because we've been through it. You know, they went through it the first half of last season so much, as we've talked about a lot. So when you hear, you know, we're talking big picture, they're right on track, and you hear that negativity coming off a game or the, the you know, we're paying attention to the fact that we're 14th in, in high danger chance and expected goals against. Um, do you want to hear that? Do you want to hear the, you know, the, the word not feeling so good about themselves, even though things look good? Yeah, after that one, I do, because nobody likes the way it felt. And look, 
here's what coaches in my in my experience being in the locker room coaches hate it when offensive zone time is limited that's what they hate the most because they don't want to spend time in their own zone and there's three ways in my mind that offensive zone time gets limited it's careless high risk passing poor shot selection and weak puck recoveries and if i was to add a fourth to that before you get into offensive zone play it's the turnovers at the blue line and that was the killer last night mm. and you don't like the way your team played in zone is is number 1 and i feel like i again i think that if i was coaching i think it it's a frustrating experience to be behind the bench when you know you've got a ton of modern skill in the lineup and you can do whatever you want you could slice and dice san jose if you play the right way but as soon as you start getting careless, you think it's going to be easy, everything, there's so much risk in your game. And then even back it up, if you take a, a rewind on Anaheim's, or excuse me, San Jose's first goal, it was four attempts out of zone that were failed. And then it was a counter in the neutral zone and it comes back and they score. And you're just saying to yourself, like, guys, we're, we're thinking about offense in our own zone right now. We're just trying to make <laughs> perfect plays. And that's not us. And sometimes in the game, you know, it's line after line and, and you guys are coming off the ice and like, boys, this is not our game. Come on, let's go. Let's, you know, but you just can't shake it some nights. You're in a rut and you just can't shake it. And I felt like that's what happened against San Jose last night. And it certainly didn't happen that way against Anaheim. And to me, there's not a lot of difference between Anaheim and San Jose except for San Jose's PK is elite. And they they really rushed the Rangers and they never really got set up besides a few looks early on in the first power play. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of the power play, good to segue into it. Um, They really looked, you know, it looked like it was peak Ranger power play against Anaheim. And again, like you said, Anaheim does not have an elite penalty kill. And, you know, when you see... God love him. Frank Vetrano, who's not a guy who kills a lot of penalties at all in his career out there killing penalties for Anaheim. I think you know that that Dallas Akins is looking for some yeah. solutions even coming into that game. And then it was during that game, Rangers did whatever they wanted. But really, um, and, and you know, zone entries were a problem, especially on, on a couple of the later power plays last night. But the Rangers power play looks dominant, as it did for a lot of last year. And, you know, Strom out, Trocek in. Very similar. He does. He has a few different wrinkles that he he seems to provide. He's a little more aggressive, I think, than Strom. Um, re- retrieving pucks, kind of moving around. Um, what do you? What have you seen from this power play? I mean, you watched it a lot over the years. It's so good because the guys on it are so good. But it it has to be more than that. They seem to be able to to do things that are that other teams should be expecting. Whether it's the seam pass from Panarin. The kind of the no look pass from Fox as he's as he's walking the line the opposite way to get Zabanaja that one timer. It it almost looks a little bit now like how Washington is able to get Ovechkin shots uh, and open looks, which 
I think a lot of other teams are like, why aren't they guarding this guy? And it's just like, <laughs> it's now Zibanejad, I think, has gotten into that category. And you see yes. what it does. And, and what else do you see? Um, so right off the bat, the first shot attempt the Rangers had last night was Zibanejad one-timer. And I would do that as far as tactics and, and where coaches step in. That would be my message to the group. I'd say, hey, boys, here's what we're doing. We're going to establish Zibanejad's one-timer right off the bat. Let them know it's a threat. Let, let them know it's there. That's not your number one option. It shouldn't be, not from the high ice, mm-hmm. um, because there are better options within your power play. But if it's Fox down to Zibanejad on that seam, same side of the ice, just just let them feel it. Let, it. let them know it's there. Because we did a segment in the pregame show last night where uh, Miku had the fifth most from that spot um, stationary. and he had 14 goals, 14 or 15 goals in the last three years. And that was fifth in the NHL. Ovechkin was eighth, surprisingly. Huh. And um, yeah, the other guys on the list, uh, Pasternak, Dreisaitl. Um, But I-, I thought it was fascinating just looking at the video pertaining to, to Mika because he is, he is one of the guys that the penalty kill has to be aware of. And then the second attempt at net, Mika doesn't crank the one-timer but he opens it up and then sends it across seam for Kreider. So that's your that's another look. Now you're establishing it. If you want to try and jump in the lane and try and block Mika's shot, well, he's going to have another play here. I think the biggest advantage the Rangers have right now is experience, with the exception of adding Trocek, and he's just an experienced player to begin with. He's got plenty of experience. But I just feel like they know each other so well right now, Arthur. And, and what I mean by that specifically is how much motion – they have in their power play now. Whereas back it up two, three years, they were more of a stationary stagnant power play. And right now, for instance, um, watching a couple of the plays with Henrik last night in the studio, Panarin is throwing it blind at Mika's faceoff dot. And Mika knows how to skate into it. So you can't be guarded and, and the PK can have great sticks and they can try all they want. But that lane changes when there's motion. So when Mika's skating into that area and receiving that pass coming downhill, Panarin's doing the same thing when it's on Mika's side of the ice. He's circling up. He's almost coming. Well, he is coming out of the frame. He's coming out of the picture, almost coming around like it's a like it's a drill where the coach puts his glove down. And he wants you to skate around the glove at the top of the circle and then charge back down. And Trocek's getting a lot of motion. So you've got three elite passers in Panarin, Fox, and Zibanejad. But now it's the experience and knowing their routes and being able to do it in motion, which makes them that much more effective. I think they still have one step, though. The final step to really being elite, and I think they're right there, is knowing your outs. And I remember being on a few conversations over the years with Adam Oates. And Adam created this 1-3-1 power play with Washington back in the day. And Scott Gomez became very fluent with it as well. And it was amazing in my first calls with those guys talking about this, where you have to be in the correct spot. And if you're off by a foot, Arthur, you're off because the passing lane for a righty Panarin up to the point where Fox is, the sticks can get in there and intercept the pass because he's a righty, not a lefty. If he's a lefty like a Nick Backstrom, then he can move it and you're on the outside lane for the pass. And that ideally is the board guy, the quarterback. And that's another fascinating point to make is, is let's just say it. The Rangers have three quarterbacks, Mika, (laughs) 
Panarin and Fox. And that's just very unique because most power plays have one. Right. So Panarin being a righty, though, he has to be in the right spot. If Mika gets in trouble at the other corner and he's getting pressed and there's a lot of aggressive skating from San Jose last night where it was one guy and then another guy backing up and they were at you in layers on the penalty kill. As soon as Mika gets that pressure, Panarin, even though he's on the other side of the ice, he becomes the most important guy because he's got to get out. He's got to be an out and Mika can blind it around the boards. Panarin can get it off the yellow quickly because everybody's got to recover from the other side of the ice. But the one thing we didn't see last night was, was everybody an out when they got charged, you know, because the elite passers uh, that we're talking about, they can pass through you if it's one guy, but when it's two with support on the PK, it was, it was very challenging for them. In fact, everybody's going to be watching what San Jose did to the Rangers last night. And, they're going to be picking up on the fact that, okay, well, maybe the key to, you know, being hard on the Rangers is that we can't ever let them get set up because when they get set up, they're getting a great a chance. Right. And that's twofold. That's when you get a dump, they're going to charge you down the ice. They're going to be all over you and try and kill minutes before even allowing you to enter. And then when you enter, they're going to be hard on you. They're going to be aggressive. So it's a matter of being able to, once they get in their setup, they're getting a chance. Uh, it's just getting into that set, set up as quickly as possible. The one thing that I liked that I definitely noticed against Anaheim was was Zibanejad's, uh first goal where he, and we've seen it a little bit, where he and Panarin flip spots kind of just to, you know, I would assume to, to yep. throw off the penalty killers and give them a look that they're not expecting. But Trocek, when Panarin flips to the Zibanejad spot, Trocek goes down to the goal line, makes himself available, and suddenly – the guys are all at different angles, and he threads that pass across. And I don't know if John Gibson played it that well, but I could forgive John Gibson for being surprised that it was Zibanejad cutting down the weak side off of, <laughs> off a seam pass that he's probably thinking, right. like, well, that guy's supposed to be on the one-timer on the other side. Um, yep. So when when you've got – and I think that's a, that seems to be – you know, Trocek, the aggressiveness, I think he, you know, he wants to get involved. He's shooting a lot of pucks, maybe a lot more than Strom would would have with that group that Strom knows that you you don't want to eat up shot attempts from Zibanejad or Kreider or whoever. Um, but Trocek seems to be, I'm going to get in there and get mine and kind of cause some chaos. And, uh, and certainly that play was not chaos, but it was, it was a little different wrinkle. And I think that's, that's kind of an interesting thing that he's bringing right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And on that specific play too, I remember thinking to myself, isn't it great that Trocek is a righty at this moment because it's away from the goalie's stick. Yeah. A lefty, a lefty's pass can get cut. And as Kreider is a lefty on the other side of the ice, he has the opportunity to make that same seam over to Zibanejad or Panarin, whoever switches. But yes, they have options. And um, the low guy is key. And, you know, there's there's so many different little plays, right? Arthur, like the guys talk. And I like it when they're on the same page. And And I've been in those meetings. And one of ours when I was with the Rangers was the first low play. So imagine getting it to Kreider below the goal line. The first low play of the game is at the goalie's feet. And I love that play and I don't see that enough. But the reason why I love it is because I now as the goaltender always have it in the back of my mind that this is a possibility that they are, they're throwing it at my feet. So I can't get the jump and beat the pass. Now, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a split second longer, make sure that pass gets all the way across my body before I start to track it. And that in turn helps 
the team uh, on offense because now they've got a goalie that's a little bit later and not jumping the pass and not cheating. So especially on a five on three, that really comes into play or at the beginning of a playoff series, it's really important to establish the fact that I want the goalie to think that this is a possibility every time I have the puck just to jam him up mentally. Yeah. And you know, San Jose was able to shut them down. I, I, and that could be a blueprint, but I don't know that there's a lot of teams that have the personnel to make that work, to be that structured. And it probably to your point helped San Jose that the Rangers got all of these power plays early on when San Jose was fresh. They weren't getting dominated five on five yet. Um, so they were able to kind of establish themselves when the Rangers didn't convert, especially on that, that short five on three. Um, but I don't know that, uh, that it's going to be a, a pattern that a lot of other teams can, can, uh, can duplicate. No, you know what? I, I agree with you. And, and here's why, because a lot of teams want to create offense on their penalty kill. You know, you look at why is Mitch Marner on the penalty kill in Toronto? He's there to get scoring chances, right? And you're looking at, depending on the team, uh, San Jose was there to shut you down. They were just there to defend and they wanted to shut down what is a weapon for the New York Rangers. So, no, I agree with you. It, it depends on who you're playing against and because the regular season is what it is and you're seeing a new opponent every night, it's not the playoffs, but the playoffs, I'll tr- trust me, like this is a pretty easy find for these guys that are pre-scouting and it's who had success against them, why, right. and who did they use? Well, San Jose did, that was the first team that had a, had a really good night against the Rangers. So we pretty much have an Igor segment every show, it seems, because <laughs> he's so important to what they do. And, and uh, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started. You know, Igor's got a 901 save percentage right now. It's below league average. I don't even know if they can, if it's fair to calculate a league average when not everybody's seen much action. He's made four starts. They're 3 0 1 in his starts. And, uh, you know, I, I can just relay a conversation I had with him. Uh, the day after the Anaheim game, where I was trying to finesse a you know team defense, giving up chances, and he kind of looked at me with that little smirk that he has, and he says, "Team, the team played very good. I played very bad." And <laughs> it's as, I, I assume that it's just as simple as that for him. That if he gives, he's going to give up four. It could be fourteen four, and if he gives up four, he's going to be pissed off. And yeah, yeah. And I imagine, and I imagine last night. You know, where there were not a lot of shots, but a, a, a decent number of good chances. I think it would, whatever, uh, you know, looking at, at, you know, some of your chance uh, metrics, what was it? Six high dangers between third period and overtime for San Jose. And, and in a right. tie, when you're up three, you can live with that, I guess. Not ha- you're not going to be happy, but you can live with it. When in a tie game, you can't live with that. And so the, the Rangers don't want to get into a situation where they're, they need Igor to be superhuman like he was a lot of nights early last season they need him to be great because he is great um and he's been good to great so far i would guess uh you probably have some more details on that and you know after you've seen these last couple games since the last time we talked you know where do you think he's at and more importantly where is his head at as we kind of get going into this season yeah so again neat talking to henrik about this because I was not an elite goalie. Henrik was, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, Hank, it's, it's always interesting just to bounce these ideas off of them because I was interested in asking, asking Henrik, what was it like the year after you won the Vesna? Did you feel like there was more pressure to start the season? 
Um, I've asked him questions like four goals against and one you want to have back. What are your feelings? He's like, I hate life. I can't stop thinking about the game. Like, <laughs> you know, and um, that's the way we agreed, you know, as far as goals against it's, it's one of these, it's shut out or one love and life. You were an impact in the game. You think life is great and, and everything's terrific in the world. Two, you start to question things like, could I have had one? Three, you're really questioning things. And four, you're miserable, right? So Henrik said to me, uh, you know, what do you think the difference is now, Igor, last year, Igor, at this time? And, and, and as we talked, I was looking up things and I was like, the only thing that really stands out is, is two goals, uh, the Matt Zuccarello goal and the Vetrano goal. Mm-hmm. And by NHL standards, those would be considered low danger. Now, what low danger does to your save percentage is it just hammers it. So he's given up, let's just say last week, he gave up two low danger in the week, right? And that would never hold over a season with Igor. Of course not. He only allowed, he only allowed nine all of last year. So the 905 save percentage last night that now becomes a 901, um, Henrik said, as soon as I'm looking at that, like I am angry i'm taking it out on my opponent because you know you're an elite guy you're not a 901 and i feel like it's just the dam's gonna break here and igor is just gonna rip off a couple shutouts he'll be at 9 30 and we'll be laughing that we even had this conversation i think it's just a matter of time because i think he's that elite arthur i mean i'm spoiled because yes it's my favorite position on the ice and i'm thrilled that i get to watch him every night and now I'll sit with henrik and henrik you know you have to know that henrik believes in his greatness too which is really neat as well and and hank said a number of times like i couldn't do that when he does certain things and and i think that's fascinating as well you know it's interesting about the the two low danger goals those are goals that made uh in minnesota it made a three nothing game three one zuccarello's goal and vetrano's goal came right after a ranger goal but made it two one you know you and i have talked a lot about this the the effect a low danger goal at nothing, nothing, or at one, one has on a team where it just, mm-hmm. everybody just sags. And it's, you know, it's one of those, I'm sure you can, you can try to quantify it, but it's just one of those, you, your eyes match and your brain match up with what the data says that if, if you see, yeah. like, give, give up a bad one like that, when it's close, yep. you're not going to pull yourself together. The Rangers can pull themselves together, at least in those, those two games, because they were winning and their offense was humming. Um, you know, does it? Do you think it weighs on Igor at all? I mean, you were saying you look back. I look back too at those first five games at, at the chances and what you know. One of those first five games last year was the game in Toronto where right, that was really right. the game memorable. Where, that was the game where he became a guy. Yeah, yeah. He announced himself in the right, the perfect place to announce yourself. Where Toronto, where everybody's eyes always are. That forty save game. You know, I can't. I didn't look and see at the high danger chances, but there had to be double digits the Leafs had in that game, and he was unbelievable in that game. And I think that was the game, probably for his teammates too, that said, "Yeah, we can win with this guy, no doubt. No matter how we play, he's always going to give us a chance." When you get to year two of thinking like that, does it weigh on him? Do you think? Do you think he wants to have? Uh, you know, he wants to be that guy again, obviously. But also, do you, do the other guys say? We can't, you know, we need a game like we had against Tampa. We need more of those where we, where he, he doesn't have to, you know, he's not losing 10 pounds because he's flopping all over the place trying to save our bacon like he did yeah. a lot of times last year. <laughs> you know what it is too, Arthur? It's it's the time together. Um, 
how many deposits has Igor made in the three years that he's been playing at a high level in the New York Rangers bank and trust? He's made a lot. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you start taking a couple of withdrawals for, look, you want to talk about low danger goals against, uh, 86% chance to lose when your goalie gives up a low danger goal and the other guy doesn't. So that's a real thing. I mean, there is a way to qualify and quantify what a bad goal feels like for the team. And two bad goals in the game or two low danger goals in the game. And I guarantee you he's wearing a hat at the end of the bench. That's just life as a goalie, right? Now, Igor, I just get the sense the elite guys are elite because they're elite mentally. And you can't start looking for a save after you give up one that you want back. What you have, and Henrik will tell you this, what you have is a very designed plan to get over that goal, right? You you take your skate, you mentally rehearse a save, seeing yourself make a correction, making that save, puck drops, next puck. It's not living in the past, and it's not being concerned or worried and being distracted about what's going to happen in the future. Henrik, Igor, Marty Brodeur, their greatest strength that allows their athleticism and their technique to just show up is that there is no interference from the head. And that's why they're elite. So, and Igor has been elite, Jesus, his entire career. Yeah. Go back to his numbers in the KHL and the American Hockey League, which how great was he in the American Hockey League? Yeah. And how, how proud am I of how he handled the American Hockey League, right? And I think about this a lot. I think about this maybe too much. <laughs> there are three E's to every player's hockey career. Uh, have you heard this one before? I'm I not haven't. sure. I, okay. The first E is the early years, the excitement, right? So you're just happy to be there, Arthur. Just happy to be in the league, right? Miller, Kako, Lafreniere, Hedl, even Lingrid to a certain degree. These guys are just Schneider, of course. Imagine Jones, like you're pumped, you're happy. It's really healthy for your overall team dynamic to have a lot of players that are going through that segment of their career, the excitement segment. The dangerous segment is to have too many players that are in the entitlement phase, which is the second E. And those are players that are playing for a contract and put their own self-interest before the team. Because those guys, in some cases, they just want the season to end because they want to get their deal done so they can rest easy. And I don't feel like the Rangers have anybody there. The third E is the ending. That's the third E of every hockey career. And it, the problem with having too many of those, you know, I hate to say Joe Thornton, but, you know, he's a recent example in Toronto or a Wayne Simmons and, and you know, Patrick Marlowe. If you have too many guys that are at the ending, there may be a little bit more focused on what they're going to do next. You know, they're hanging on and they're playing in the league and they're half retired uh, mentally, which really means you're all the way retired because you're doomed. If you start thinking about retirement when you're still playing, mm -hmm. I don't see the Rangers having anybody there either. I see the team, you know, you could say, okay, Mika's contract's done. And so is Fox and Panarin and Kreider. But I, th I think they're back into that. They've kind of gone into that excitement phase again. I, I just feel like everybody has a very good energy about them. So that's why I love the team build. And this is certainly not analytics. This is just experience eyeballs. And, and what I remember from being in the locker room, you can't fool the boys is one of the oldest and truest sayings in the game. Everybody knows where your intentions lie. 
And I just feel like the team has a very strong bond because they, they're all in a really good phase of their careers. It'll be dangerous at some point where those roles shift. And, and I'm just saying, I went through all three of those phases myself. I had the excitement years. I had the years where my coach that maybe coached me in the first five, six years of my career may not even recognize me during my entitlement phase, you know, and then, <laughs> and then that coach wouldn't have recognized me when I was near the ending either, where I was breaking down and just hanging on. But we all go through that and I don't think there's any escaping it. That's good. Um, so in the week to come, uh, Columbus comes in on Sunday, another team that uh, the Rangers don't want to fall into a trap of maybe playing down to their level. Um, and then next week, Colorado comes in, which means Alexander Georgiev comes in. I'd be very, very interested to see what the Avs decide to do in net, um, given Georgiev's popularity within the Ranger room, perhaps. Uh, mm, <laughs> I'll be interested to see if he if he's the guy that plays. And then I uh, wonder, uh, you know what I'm wondering when you're saying that is how much money is Igor putting on the board? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I, I would say because the, the Rangers have a back to back with the Islanders the next night at uh, UBS, and you you know if you're if you're on the fence about who's going to play where I would have thought maybe you'd go with Halak who hasn't yet played at the garden. He's historically so good at the garden, but yep. yeah, if Georgiev is playing that game for the Avs, I'm going to guess uh, it's about a 99.99999% chance that Igor says, give me the net. I want to play against this guy. <laughs> Given what we know. The game inside the game. Yep. Exactly. And also Colorado will be the return of Dryden Hunt. There was a little, little, some roster machinations going on. Uh, the, the Rangers got healthy. A few of the nagging injuries. Sammy Blay came back. Vitaly Krausov is healthy again after he went out of that first game. So Dryden Hunt went on waivers and was claimed by the Avs. Um, so the Rangers are down to 22 guys in the roster, uh, ostensibly to bank some, start banking some cap space. We could do a whole show about the salary cap and uh, how you accrue cap space throughout the season. We need to do that, that by the way. We need to do No, <laughs> seriously, send... you know why you know why we have to do that? It's for me. It's for me. <laughs> because I have I have really only learned about this recently. I didn't understand it before. But the accruing yeah. and everything and how that yeah. works per day, I didn't understand that. That that's a real game changer. It is. And it's it's so important, especially for the Rangers now, you know, if they're whatever they're about, you know, with the hunt off the roster close to a million dollars in cap space that'll grow to about you know four million if they can continue on when you get to the trade deadline and then you can start thinking about that four million means that's the value of a contract you can add at the deadline um you know you start thinking about certain guys that might be available as we get towards the trade deadline who could be mm -hmm. huge boost to this lineup you have to maybe that, it just shows me that you have to do it you have yeah. to do it during the season if you're a contending team you have to do it yeah, and I don't I don't think they wanted to lose Dryden Hunt necessarily. He's a guy who's, you know, he's not a maybe not an everyday player like he was last year, but he's a useful piece to sub in and out mm -hmm. of the lineup. He had a very nice goal playing with uh with Panarin and Trocek in Winnipeg when uh when they lost when they lost Ryan Carpenter to that skate cut. Um but you know, that's like we said, that's the realities of, of how it is. He's in Colorado now. If Colorado ends up not needing him, wouldn't be surprised the Rangers put in a claim to bring him back at some point, but that seems to be further down the road. So uh, Rangers are sitting at 22. They're healthy, knock on wood. They seem to have been healthy. Um, you know, that's going to be a huge, huge part of it too, is just luck with injuries to, to be able to keep that cap space. 
Uh, and I think, you know, based on what we saw last night, I would imagine, and maybe you'll agree, that we'll probably see Vitaly Kravtsov get back into the lineup on Sunday. I don't know who'll come out. Maybe Ryan Reeves, um, maybe Jimmy VC, maybe Sammy Blay. May, may I ask you a question here? So, <laughs> sure, so, go ahead. Um, all right, because this is this is a, this is exactly what I need. Now, LTIR. Let's just say yeah. one of the Rangers is is put on L. How does that affect them accruing daily cap space? It changes the entire calculation because once you're on using LTIR, which means you have you if you didn't put if you tried to add somebody on the roster and keep them on regular IR, you'd go over the salary cap, which you're not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. LTIR allows you to take a player's cap hit off of your salary cap, or basically you have an adjusted upper limit now of whatever the salary cap is plus that player's cap hit, which is why you see guys like Carey Price when they go on LTI. Teams want to use up as much of that cap space as possible because when you you start the day you start to use long term injured reserve, you want to use as much of it as you can to give yourself as much flexibility. If you leave unused cap space on LTIR the day that you start using it, it doesn't fluctuate like it does when you're under the regular cap. You don't can't accrue oh cap space. Oh my goodness! See, we're having it finally. I know something that, about hockey that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am such a novice when it comes to some of this stuff. Um, uh, it's, a, it's all right. Yeah, it's a. It's that's, a, <laughs> that's why we. That's why we work so well together. It's that's you. Right, you bring the. Right. You bring the analysis and the inside knowledge of the locker room, and I bring the math. So. Uh, <laughs> Awesome, anyway. Arthur. That's really neat stuff, though. It's it's really neat, though. I don't think um, it gets talked about often enough. You know, where people could actually overhear it, just like we're at a bar talking about this kind yeah. of stuff. Where you know, you got to really get into it if you want to understand how the hard cap and it's like a triple hard cap, how it works. You have to understand the LTIR. It is. You'd have to have a lot of a lot of knowledge about a, a little knowledge about a lot of different things to be a hockey a good hockey fan these days. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Anyway, I think we broke it down pretty well. Thanks as always, Steve. I'm looking forward to our regular uh, occurrences. You'll you'll work your way up the to the top nine soon enough. Yeah, with, I with, think uh, yeah, I'm a 14 minute player after this one. I think absolutely I'll, I'll have a couple minutes. Thank you, Steve, and thank you everybody for listening to the Garden Faithful. If you're enjoying the show so far, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five star rating and a review. It really helps us grow the show. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. That's Steve Bellicat, Chris Flannery running the boards as always. I'm Arthur Staple. We'll catch you again next week.